Hello and welcome to Romance Read Along. Today we will be discussing Penny Reed's Beard Science, the third book in the Winston series. 4.4 on Goodreads, 384 pages, first published October 11th, 2016. Come join us for our lively discussion. The the funny thing is, when I was going through this book, and the fun, it actually ended up making me read another book, uh, which was, I, I originally thought, <laughs> this, I read a book called Bread Science, and I was like, man, what did it, why, bread? Yeah, I was like, why would this be here? And then, like, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I was like, no, 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 this can't Was it about that. bread? It was all about bread. And, like, the... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling, like, the science of making bread and how to make sourdough. I mean, I am definitely going to try to make some bread now. I'm not going to say that I'm not doing that. But, yeah, like, it, it took me on this journey. And then when I actually got to reading the book... And reading the story, it was a little difficult for me to get over the the main character's name because anytime I hear Cletus, it's someone making fun of somebody. But it took me a little while to get over his name, especially the name Cletus in my head is never associated with someone who's so cerebral. But to actually get to where I'm looking at and going into this character and kind of looking at him, I'm like, man, this character shares, shares a lot of traits and commonalities that I have within myself, especially when it comes to... It, it's like manipulation has such a, a negative connotation, but they uh, massage, I would like to say, they massage the world around them to make things, you know, more comfortable and better for them, but also for the people around them. And to notice that this character gained a bit of a initial, you know, not, I wouldn't say reverence, but an initial, I guess, dislike for the heroine or not even dislike. Um, I guess being off put initially by her because she was able to actually quote unquote outthink him and kind of work it around him. And then he was like, okay, wait a minute here. This is actually something that draws my attention because this isn't just another pawn on the board, so to speak. This is a, an actual character, an actual piece of, you know, substantiality and substantiability. And then watching that development kind of occur throughout the novel. I thought that was actually really interesting. It was definitely um, very different from the previous one, which was a little bit more or a lot more direct because of the size and how concise it was. Uh, this one allowed to kind of develop why and how the person was this way. And, you know, I, I guess the benefit of what they were doing in order to have that reflect on, you know, his love interest, which I thought was really interesting. This is probably my favorite book by this author. Not that her other books aren't good, but uh, Cletus and Jen are, are particularly fun. And I, I think she probably chose the name Cletus because it tends to make you think of some someone who may be less educated and or ignorant, right? It just feels like a stereotype. I agree. And, and and that's a lot of the points of the character, right? He spends a lot of time trying to appear innocuous and having people sort of dismiss him, right? Because that's that allows him to operate unobserved. I, and and yes. you're right. I think I think when Jen gets 
gets the upper hand and then tries to to blackmail him, you know, he's resentful because he very quickly dismissed her as a person because of the way she allows her parents to step all over her, right? She's very, I don't know if downtrodden is the right word for it, but she's very passive in her life when he meets her. And she's just sort of developed ways to cope with the situation she found herself in without making any real attempt to separate herself from her family. I'd agree. Her character actually reminded me a lot of uh, the female lead from Dirty Dancing as someone who was kind of like she had that rebellious, that adventurous, that intellectual aspect of herself, but she kind of muted it in order to live along the lines that her family had kind of set forth for her to follow. And Agletus, you know, he doesn't say you don't put baby in a corner, but throughout the actions over the story and how he kind of gets her, or actually how they get each other to kind of blossom and open up and to becoming more complete, fuller people, I thought that that was really interesting. And and when I, I stepped back from the story and looked at it in terms of how the author must have comprised these characters, it was so well done that I am positive that those aspects are something that had to be experienced, whether it was seen, whether it was firsthand experience, but Cletus was so well written and thought out because of the fact that he chooses to be so innocuous and just, you know, kind of flying under the radar so that it allows him the room to operate fully at his potential. And then you have her who is someone who appears to be so, you know, downtrodden. I, I would definitely agree with that choice of words. Someone who's so downtrodden and just so reserved, you know, turn around to be at the same instance, someone who thinks and can operate at his level, which I think is what really started getting him drawn to her. Just the fact that he didn't even really acknowledge her before the attempted blackmail. And then once that happens, he's like, not only is he interested, he begins to become, he's to begin falling for her. Like he opens himself up to the possibility of falling for her, which I thought was like, wow, this, this is really well done. Like I, I really enjoy this aspect of it. I think part of it is that she sees him. Right. Both of them have a tendency to present to the world someone other than who they are. Right. Him on purpose to get an advantage and her because she's shy. Right. She's introverted and she's shy and she's sort of just trying to take as little damage from the world around her as possible. And so they both hide the person they are. When she calls him out on being, you know, the most dangerous man in their part of Tennessee, you know, when she calls him out on being smart and sneaky, he's he's impressed that she sees him, right? Because he's used to only his family really seeing him. You know, and 
the funny thing is this does make me want to kind of go further into the other one like i looked at uh i think there were two other titles that i saw maybe there were three or four uh the one that i wanted to was the uh truth or beard uh just kind of like looking at the synopsis of that one i was like i think this is gonna kind of open it up to me because for cletus to not only for him i would assume because i i know that i have parts of this he was finally placed in a position to where someone actually saw him and for someone to see you in your true form who you really are despite what you present and show the rest of the world there's a level of understanding there and there's a level of existence there even i mean i i could imagine that cletus would go throughout his life and be happy with just being this mastermind kind of behind the scenes and being the wizard of oz so to speak but having someone as his Dorothy actually look and say, I see you, that actual being seen aspect of it, I would just assume is so self-affirming and just it allows you to kind of even become greater to what you are because you understand that you're not just in your own head thinking you're this someone else is actually acknowledging you yeah i think i think in a lot of ways being seen especially when you're the kind of person who actively hides who you are in that way is the dream right somebody who can see you despite your bullshit you know because he knows that he's smart right he knows that he's smart and he he doesn't want you to know that he's smart for the affirmation. He just, I think he's surprised by how much he liked the fact that she knew him. And she, it's, it's like he kept saying, you don't have to be scared of me, right? Like, I've decided I'm not going to get revenge on you. You don't have to be scared of me, you know? I think, I think the fact that she knew him and understood him just really shocked him at first and then drew him in. I would agree. I actually have a note on that. Um, I actually likened him and that conversation to Little Red Riding Hood. Um, not in the aspect that the it's the fact that Little Red was able to see the wolf. And there's always that saying of, oh, there's a wolf in sheep's clothing and things of that nature. And I think that that embodies, <clears throat> excuse me, Cletus to a T. This is a person who is absolutely a wolf in sheep's clothing and not in a negative way. It's not that he's a wolf because he's looking to come and ransack the farm. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing because he puts on this mask, this disguise of being not as, when in reality he is because it, it almost acts as a, a limiter on the amount of actual effort that he would need to put into something. He can basically put in lower 
accounts of effort because he understands that since no one is expecting him to be this, you know, mastermind, he can act relatively openly about his machinations. And that's one thing I, I like that the author kind of highlighted. It's the fact that he doesn't necessarily hide everything. He just presents an image and allows that person to kind of tack on whatever they see and feel about him. But in the reality of it, he is who he is. And if he's caught, he's willing to say, yeah, you got me. This is who I am. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he doesn't lie about it. He's like, yeah, I, I might be a wolf, you know? I, I also like that. I like that he's reticent to try and meddle outside his family because when he meddled outside his family, he wound up, he wound up causing, you know, Billy a lot of distress. Yes. Um, the fact that he's op like operating outside of the family and in out operating outside of the family, you realize that within the family, I guess things are a little bit more self-contained because there is an actual finite amount of people that he has to basically create these machinations for. But when you step outside of the family, there are many, many people and many people that kind of personify different roles. So when they act, you know, he's, he hasn't been around them forever. So when they act outside of those roles, not only is it surprising, it actually puts him on his toes and puts him in a position to where he could potentially lose. And to him, it's not more of a personal loss. It's more of a familial loss because he is someone who is a protector. Like regardless of him not being the six foot six, you know, statuesque Achilles type character, he is a character that mentally machinates because it protects him and his family, or I would say his family and him because I believe he places them on a higher pedestal than even himself. I would agree. I think he's looking to take care of his family as best he can, sort of behind the scenes. And he's not, he's not willing to risk his family's well-being to try and save somebody else anymore. Right. Yes. At least, at least until Jen sort of comes into the picture. And I, I like how they're both under misconceptions, right? He thinks she, she he thinks that she can't blackmail him anymore and she thinks that he thinks he's still being blackmailed, right? And blackmail as a motive went out the window long long time ago, right? It only really was a ruse that allowed her to sort of feel safe with somebody who she felt was so much more capable and dangerous than herself. Agreed. And I mean, I, I take that to, you know, the, the hearkening back to the Little Red Riding Hood story where she just doesn't come out right away and say, oh my God, you're not my grandma, you're a wolf. You know, she goes through the motions of, you know, oh, God, what big eyes you have and what big teeth you have and, oh, what hairy arms you have. It's finding your own safety and control in a situation when you're there with, I wouldn't want to call him a predator. It's such a, I think it's such a heightened word for what he represents. He's more of a, he's more of inevitability. You know, with the way that he plans and the way that he takes his time and kind of goes through things, she just understood 
that she could not be what everyone else was to him because then he she would be treated as everyone else was to him and that would be without consequence right if she wanted his help and she definitely admired him before ever directly interacting with him even if, even if her appreciation of him was for his quote-unquote evil genius right she definitely saw him as capable and able to help her get what she wanted she needed a way yeah to make herself feel safe while making him see her right because she knew that he long stopped seeing her and I love how he describes how he only has enough room in his life for 24 people because more than two birthdays a month is too many birthdays and too much cake. I mean, <laughs> I honestly think that that breakdown of it in its simplest, rawest form, it's ingenious. Just simply the fact that it just made it to where he's like, okay, it puts too many moving pieces in my puzzle. And in order to continue maintaining the puzzle as it is, I cannot take on, I will not take on any additional, you know, for one of a better term cake. And the fact that it, it cake, the word cake was used specifically, I took it to cake is always a, it's a reward. It's a celebration. It's this, that, and the other. But it shows that to him, that isn't a celebration. It's more of a, like a duty, so to speak, because he doesn't say that he forgets the other birthdays. What he's saying is, I don't want to accept the responsibility of additional birthdays because my plate's already full or as full as I care for my plate to be. Right. It's any, he doesn't want any more his highest form of praise is I would go to your birthday party because for him signaling that you're willing to go to somebody's birthday party means you're willing to go through the effort for that person. And he doesn't have the time or the energy to go through the effort for everybody, right? There's a limited number of people he's he has the time and or energy to go through the effort for. And if you're not on the list, you don't exist. Correct. And I mean, for me, it, it, it honestly, <laughs> it kind of is what separates him from being a, a Ted Bundy, so to speak. Just the fact that it's not that he sees inhumanity in people. He just doesn't care to concern himself with that humanity of other people. And he operates based on that, you know, kind of train of thought and that motion. It's not a matter of, oh God, all he doesn't accept other life or things along the things of that nature. It's just that he understands that in order to protect his family, to preserve his family, and to continue pushing and moving them forward, there's certain sacrifices he will have to make. And if everyone's his friend, he's not going to be willing to or able to make those sacrifices because he is a person that is so loyal. And if he's a person that's at your birthday party, you know that this is a guy that if the white walkers are on the, at the wall, he's a guy that you call and he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't show up. He shows up regardless of if it's a win, lose or anything scenario. 
he shows up because that's what he committed himself to. And I think that he just doesn't take his commitments lightly. Right, because when when Jethro needs somebody to help him, you know, build the cottage, he calls Cletus and Cletus goes and he doesn't just do it. He does a fantastic job, you know, going so far as to hide the stereo system. Right? He puts a thousand percent in whatever it is he's doing. Correct. You know, he's the guy you call to help you move. But you have to be on his list of approved people because if he, if you are, he's, you know, going to be there with pizza and beer and, and a pickup and a U-Haul and help you move. But if you're not one of his people, he doesn't know you. Right. Agreed. And I, I, I mean, for me, this is why it's a character that like I, this is a book I, I know that I'm going to reread because this is a character that I, I'm sure the more I read it, the more of myself I see it's, I keep my own personal circle quite small and it's because of the amount of sacrifice that I understand that that takes. I understand that if I call someone and I use a term like friend or brother or family, I don't use it lightly. I don't take it lightly. And I understand that if I have hundreds of friends, I can't be a friend in the regard in which I consider that to be a friend. I could be an acquaintance, but to be a friend means that I'm there for your birthday. If you're having a remote destination wedding, even if I don't want to go, even if it's in the middle of COVID and I use this from a, for, from a specific example from my life, I am there. I'm there with bells on. I'm there, you know, being the life of the party, even if I hate that and I'm an introvert. But it's it's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make for a friend. And it's because I've already accepted that when saying we are going to be friends. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. You've taken you've willingly and knowingly taken on the responsibility. I I definitely find myself identifying with those character traits with Cletus. He's he's not He's not a malicious person, I don't think. I mean, even even his thing with um, the deputy, what's his name? James. Ja Jackson James. No, James Jackson. James Jackson, yes. Yeah. Um, he, like, he considered giving him leprosy with an armadillo, yeah. <laughs> right? And he didn't, because that would have been a lot, Right. I mean, really, despite his vitriol, he didn't do much more than put itching powder in his dry cleaning, right? He didn't even vandalize his patrol car, like letting the air out of the tires or, you know, removing the spark plugs, right? He did the, basically, he did the bare minimum because he could have gone further. I, I love how they, the, the writer juxtaposed the simple you know i'm gonna do this and put itching powder in here versus i'm going to give you a terminal disease like leprosy <laughs> so i thought that was a, a really good thing in showing that there was a wide chasm of everything that could have occurred in between and how he still chose the least of the evil so to speak and it's because i think right. he's genuinely a good person because someone with his mindset had he truly decided to be malicious, vindictive, or just downright outright evil, 
not only would he have been able to do it, he would have been very good at it. Right. It's he had the potential for like despicable evil. But he he doesn't choose evil. He chooses malicious mischief, really. Yes. Right? Not nothing really rises above the level of petty interference. Right. And it's more more to satisfy his own sense of justice than it is anything else. You know, when they two deputies come up to him to give him the update on his father in prison, they both offer to have bad things befall his father in prison. And he's like, no, that's fine. He can stay healthy. I don't need you to, like, have him shanked. I just... (laughs) want to know where he is and i want to you know dismantle this biker gang that has caused my family so much pain and suffering correct and one thing i feel that that showed about his character was that he understood the it's like he wasn't you know mischievous because he was just you know toying and playing with people it was a means for him to satisfy his own sense of justice without crossing that line and becoming someone that i don't think that he would be able to not only respect but even tolerate this is a person that had he seen fit not only could he have had him taken care of but he even had people on the outside saying hey why don't i give you a hand with this and he's like no because i think he honestly understood and comprehended what though what strings that that came attached with versus you know going about it and actually taking care of where he felt the injustice occurred which is with that gang who in all honesty got what they deserved especially because of the fact that they are the reasons for like this book <laughs> so yeah. yeah i think cletus holds himself accountable in a very real way maybe even more accountable than he should Right. Like he definitely blames himself for Billy losing that scholarship and not getting to go away to college. Right. And and it's like, you know, nobody bats 100. Right. Not all of his plans are going to work out perfectly 100 percent of the time. Right. It's not like you hit him with a car. You were trying to do a good thing, and Billy took some actions that you, you know, you weren't responsible for as well, and bad things happen. You know, you can't blame yourself, and if you can't, and if you choose to blame yourself, you shouldn't blame yourself forever. Agreed. And I think that, uh, like, kind of going back to last week's book discussion, that is what those are some what I would consider to be traditional masculine traits that in theory exist, but they're showing that this character actually personifies and exemplifies that because I'm sure just based on like all the little callbacks or not callbacks rather just all the little, I guess, insights the the writer provides on this character and actually the family as a whole is it shows that he understands that He's not responsible for everything. However, he does take accountability for, 
if there's a glass of milk on the side of the table, you're walking by, you're tired, you don't feel like moving, you're like, oh, that could get knocked over. And then it gets knocked over later. He's the person that says, you know what? I saw that it was on the edge of the counter. I could have moved it to the center of the counter. And it was, it is considerably less likely to have been knocked over. I believe that he accepts that portion of his responsibility in things. And doing so, I mean, doing so creates a person who is completely openly extroverted, but internally completely introverted. He's, he's someone I would consider to be an, an iceberg. Definitely. Be, because with him, it's all about the under the surface, right? He's, I definitely agree that most of his machinations revolve around his own sense of justice. But I do think he gets a certain sense of satisfaction from being sort of different behind the scenes than the way people perceive him, right? There, There is a sort of satis- self-satisfied air that if you don't see how smart I am and that I'm puppet mastering you, well, then you deserve to be puppet mastered correct because he's not it's like he's hiding it but he's not it's like it's there and it's available to be seen thank you it's like it's here and it's like if you allow this to happen and i kind of relate it to when you look at a story in the media you can watch the same story on multiple news outlets and get you know seven or eight different interpretations of it when the reality of it is like well we ventured away from what the actual story was and then we became and it became an opinion piece and i think that's kind of the way he views the world he looked at the world and he's like okay look i'm not gonna i'm not gonna openly tell you what i'm doing but i'm also not going to dastardly hide it and if you're gonna if you're gonna sit there and just allow me to continue doing this then well i I guess you kind of get what you get at that point because (laughs) it's like if it's not me it's someone else or something else I have to admit, I related a lot to my own life. It's like, I am a scientist. I have a master's degree in chemistry. I do not need other people to validate that I am smart. I know my level of smart. I'm no super genius, but I can hold my own, right? If you choose to treat me like I am dumb, that is on you. And I will take full advantage of you thinking I am dumb. Because if you think I'm dumb, then, well, I guess I am too dumb to do this project. And you will have to do it all by yourself. I do not need to take time out of my busy schedule or my busy life to do it for you because I am dumb. Right? So you can just take your mansplaining self and go over there and do it all by your lonesome. I, and I don't need to help you because you just called me dumb. Or imply nobody, people rarely call you dumb. They just imply that they think you're dumb. They act as if. One thing that you, I, I honestly did not make this correlation while, while reading the story, but now it actually kind of relates to a movie called The Usual Suspects and how not only did Kaiser Soze, the, the character who was the villain and obvious, obviously him, he didn't make up this story with like all this grandiose information. He literally looked around the room that they were in 
And he's like using names and references to things that exist in the room. And it's like, if you're not going to be aware enough to your own personal surroundings and you're believing the story hand over fist, well, that sounds a lot like a you problem versus a me problem. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is so true. I, I actually appreciate that. I, I did not know that you had a master's degree in chemistry, but from talking to you from the second conversation we're having now, it, it was obvious to see that you are no idiot. And for anyone, and, and like, I love the fact that people do make those assumptions because they happen to me as well. Like I'm from California, so they expect me to be a certain way. I'm a black man, so they expect me to be a certain way. And it's always a surprise where they're like, oh my God, I never would have known. It's like, well, you also never would have asked. So that sounds like, again, it's your problem. Very true. People, if you don't, if you don't bother to look, then that's a you problem, not a me problem. Agreed. And, and I, uh, for myself and just kind of going throughout life and, and, and just having my own personal existence, I've noticed that those are instances where someone can use it as an excuse to not perform better or, or to not continue and excel. And for myself, and it sounds like you're the same way. And I've kind of noticed this uh, similarity amongst people who are successful. It is that, and, and successful is completely relative, I understand, but I say that they don't allow the outside voices and words of others to kind of basically stop them. Instead, they find a way to use it to their advantage. And I think that honestly is what makes this character so well thought out because not only is he intelligent, he's not out there trying to belittle anyone else or act as if he is the smartest person in the room. He just allows the room to find its level, and then he places himself at his in his most advantageous position. That's very true. You know, it's it's one thing about the character of of Jennifer. You know how she reframes everybody's insults as compliments. Yeah. That that is, I mean, for her, it's coming from an unhealthy place, but. I find that reframing is an incredibly powerful tool because people will be how they are and act how they are. And if you interpret other people's actions and words as coming from a negative place, they can only impact you negatively. But if you, you are making assumptions, you know, you can choose to make different assumptions and then then it doesn't come from a negative place and it can have a positive impact on you. And so you're you're choosing how you interpret that person, not for them, but for yourself. Right? Oh, agreed. You're realizing that the you have the power within yourself to decide how other people affect you. You can't control how other people act, but you can control how you react to them. Oh, agreed. And that's actually one thing about this book as a whole. Um, I noticed like throughout our conversing about it and like in my head, the way I took the notes were, all right, here's, I did him, I did her, and I did basically the surrounding cast and the people around them. And then I was like, okay, let me kind of look at it in terms of, okay, this chapter, that chapter. But as we're talking about it, 
discussing the character and their development, and I do mean both for Jenna as well as for Cletus, just discussing their character development and their relation with each other, it actually gives you the entire story without even going into discussing or bringing out any spoilers and, you know, and saying one way or the other, it just really allows you to kind of flesh out this book as a whole. Like, because there are times where when you're looking and you're reading about Cletus to where it's like, man, this person is sounding really aloof. He kind of strikes me as like a, like, like not a robot, but someone who is really good. Like I, I honestly, someone who's on the spectrum, I would say. Like, and, and it's like, you're looking at this person who's so good at compartmentalizing emotions because they process their emotions logically. And for me, it was extremely relatable because I honestly learned emotions and, and how you're supposed to react in these emotional situations from television. Like 99% of my reactions are me pulling from things I've seen on TV. And it's like, oh, this is how you react in this situation. And it seems to go over well with people. Like, I mean, 99% of the things I do today are still that. So, yeah. Yes, I have definitely done that only rather than television with books, right? You, you'll read a book and if you read, and I do this, I don't know if you do this with TV, I'll read an author's complete work. And then, I'll, you know, I, I went through a phase where I was really into books set in England. And for like six months, I developed a British accent. I just, yes. I just, because I got so far into mimicking the characters in my daily interactions to try and figure out how to relate to people that I, I, I went full John Lennon British accent. That's hilarious. I mean, for myself, I found the same thing. It was television and then also books. It's, it's a, well, not even books, I guess they would be comics or manga or whatever. For me, it was like, and I, I still pretty much only watch animated series, but what I would do is I'd watch the animated series. And if there was a book or anything, a companion novel or anything like that, I would then become engrossed into that, which is kind of what created for myself, this, um, this sense of right and wrong and justice, you know, for want of a better term, but also in terms of the way you are supposed to act as the hero of the story, so to speak. So aligning myself with those ideas and, and thought processes, it actually acted as a means to prevent me from, you know, delving into the, the nefarious, you know, the things along those lines, because I could not see myself that way. It's like my story wasn't written that way. Even when I played video games and you play the, a video game where the main character is the bad guy, so to speak, can't, I couldn't get into or play those games. Can't, can't do it. I just, it just, it's Hitman, not me. Can't play Grand Theft Auto. I can't. Thank you. I, I, I literally can't do it. I can't. I, I only play as the white hat. Only. Only Same play here. as the good guy. Did you ever watch X-Men, the animated series? I've seen just about all of them. Like the original one that came on Fox yes. on Saturday mornings. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Shaped my life. Shaped my life. You know, be, between that and growing up Catholic, it was like the perfect storm, right? Because both the good guys and the bad guys are mutants, right? Both yes. the good guy and the bad guys live through 
bad life experience. And the only real thing that determines whether or not you turn out good or bad is whether or not you choose good or bad. Yes. Yes. Oh, my. Yes. (laughs) You know. Awesome. I like the fact that you used X-Men, the animated series. Yes. Like, you have no idea how much. Yes. Like, the, the philosophical debates I would have with myself as a child of Professor X versus Magneto. And I, I can't even tell you, even to this day, it's a matter of, I believe that that choice is a matter of choice. You can choose to allow the world to create this vile, despicable character that you wouldn't want to look at in the mirror, or you can choose to be bigger than it and still push forward. And I mean, for myself, And I honestly feel that from this character because this character had multiple reasons, so to speak, and I'm using quotation marks, air quotes. This character had multiple reasons to become a Magneto. He had multiple reasons to basically not just do the mischievous harm, but to cause serious harm and loss of life. And instead, he always chose to get his justice without causing like long-term effects on people. And that I felt is what made him such a strong character and the ability to forgive because not only did he forgive Jen simply because she blackmailed him and it didn't work out or whatnot, he forgave her because he understood her plight and he accepted her plight. And he, and he, he was really enthralled in the fact that this person who he never saw that coming from did it. And he just was like, to me, I, I could see where, how an infatuation can grow from there because not only do you respect this person and not only does this person see you for who you are, this person is still choosing to see the best in others. And her expression of seeing the best in others was to basically interpret it as a compliment when for him, he still saw people for what they were and understood what they were but he did not ever vilify them or create an enemy that he felt that it was okay to do something, you know, er- cause irreparable damage to. Yeah. He, he saved his ire for people who had wronged him or his family personally. And he never, he never took it too far. And I, I think in the end, he was even a little proud of Jen for like blackmailing him. And I think he did admire the fact that she saw, you know, she saw the good in people, you know, and and she put up with so much without being bitter. And, and you know, her life was so very thankless, but yes. she never, never complained about it. She just wanted the opportunity to live as a person. Yes. And I, I feel, I feel like that's what most people want. It's people don't want to necessarily cause immense amounts of harm or even be hurtful to people with words or anything along those lines. And doing so is typically interpreted as a form of weakness. But Jen was, 
remarkably strong to endure the situation that she was in the way that she endured it and still maintain the outlook on life and everyone else around her that she did. It's not like she was, you know, some mindless halfwit who had no idea what was going on and was just oblivious and like, oh, the world is great. No, she understood it. She accepted it, but still chose to see the brighter side of life. And I think for him, the black, like her actually even taking the steps to blackmail him, for him, it's kind of like, not only is this person, she, she was him. She was a person who appeared away, but in reality, when push came to shove, if she needed to do something, would. And for him, I could see how that would be nothing but attractive. Like, how would that not be a turn on? You know, especially for him. Right. You know, so one thing I would, uh, I would like to touch on a little bit was I did run into, like, I guess my only dislikes, uh, so to speak, would be, I, I do feel like the sex scenes were kind of, like, wedged in there again. Like, it kind of felt like they were just like, yeah, we're going to throw this in here right here because this is a little bit of fan service. And I'm like, this would have been an amazing book with or without it. So, <laughs> yeah. I would admit, this book could have been okay without it because I love both the characters. But I definitely read this book going, when are they going to have sex? Okay? <laughs> Poor Jennifer is 20-something years old. And she has never seen a penis in person. Okay? I I did. I want I was waiting and I wanted to see it happen. I do think there is a certain feeling when you're reading the style of book where they put the sex scene at the end, where it's like, and then they get married and can finally have sex. Where it feels a little like an afterthought. I, the style nowadays is more to have the sex during the book and then like children in the epilogue. But because Cletus and Jen were at such different experience levels, I think they were trying to help build her up as a person. So you never felt that he was taking advantage of her. I can definitely see that. And and as a result, they're just like, well, we can't leave poor Jen without getting to do this. So we have to put it somewhere. I guess we'll just put it at the end. The the funny thing is, I would um I I don't know if there are other books on these characters, and like I purposefully did not go look this stuff up because I didn't want to come across any information that may have been poignant. I wanted it to be organic in our conversation. The, these are two characters who I would like, they're fulfilled. Like I, I could see like their arc, their story, everything completed, but I would just like to see them set in different situations. Like I'd love to kind of see them placed in a, uh, and, and kind of, a. I would love to see Cletus in action in a system in which humans or him or people in general are not seen as the dominant species and he's working his way up from there i i, I just i and maybe that's because of the book we went over last week and <laughs> and the correlations i made there it's just i like his character i just absolutely love him i love his character 
I love that. I love that because I was getting ready to tell you that they're so they were so popular that she wrote a novella length mystery novel starring Cletus and Jen. You know, and it's it's great. But it it is nowhere near Cletus in space, which, which I would read that. I would re- if that came out, I would read that. Yes, I mean he's so like this character is um is very indicative of some of the things that I really enjoy in the media that I consume. I love a thinker. I love someone that can create a thinker. It's it's always like we're kind of bludgeoned over the head with this. Oh, this is a physical specimen that can is so big and strong that they can meld the world to the whatever they see fit. But when someone is an actual thinker and also willing to get their hands dirty, like let's not act as if this isn't a person that is willing to be hands-on. It's just that combination and to create a character by that means, not only does it make this this man like and, and like I, I again, this is me having a a very vested interest in him being an extremely manly man to me because I see myself in him. <laughs> like to like this man, like this is a like when I say the word man, it's like all capitals for him. He is all capital letters. <laughs> and for Jen, Jen comes off as this like, you know, this doe lost in the woods. But the reality is you could see that power there and that strength. I kind of liken her to you're walking in the middle of the forest and you just happen to come across this extremely well-built house. It doesn't have any furniture inside, but it's more than enough to keep you safe and sheltered. And that's kind of what I saw from her. And then combining those two characters, the amount of just like their house of cards level good when it comes to the two of them working together. And I'd love to see that. That's why that other book, uh, we're going to have to definitely make sure that I get that information because I will read that just for fun. Like, we don't even have to talk about that. I just want to read that. Okay, I'll I'll definitely make sure to send that to you. I was looking for the quote while we were talking because it, it so exemplifies Jen for me. It's, she says at one point, being quiet can be louder than shouting and that she worries that her silence isn't loud. And I think at the beginning of the story, her silence isn't loud, but by the end, she's grown and her silence becomes loud, right? As she becomes, right? As her, as her strength moves from becoming about being defensive and protecting herself, to being about being a strong person and existing in the world. Agreed. And this is a person that by the end of the story is not just strong because she has someone like Cletus with her or around her or has been able to show her these things. She kind of stepped into that on her own. And I do appreciate the fact that it wasn't, and, and I'm going to go back to a term that you used yourself, it wasn't them leaning on mansplaining and the man telling her what to do and how his penis is going to show her all the issues of the world and how they can be fixed. No, she was able to do and reach that conclusion on her own. And like that, honestly, when I, I make fun of my wife about this, when we talk about rom-coms, I'm like, the only issue I have with rom-coms is that you have this strong independent person, typically a woman, 
and then you kind of have this flighty fly by night guy and let me show you how to have fun and how my penis is going to make the world make sense to you and this was not that and i appreciated that cannot watch a rom-com and i don't know if it's just because i can't like i can't deal with fluids i can read the most graphic sex scene but I cannot watch SpongeBob SquarePants because they're snot. <laughs> you know, it's like so I I can't. I wanted to watch Rick and Morty so bad, and I couldn't <laughs> because of the drool. I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I don't care how good your jokes are. I can't look at the screen while this is on. This is very upsetting for me. And, and it doesn't know, go away. It's in every single scene. <laughs> As far, as far as romantic movies go, for me, there will never be anything better than Die Hard, except for maybe Red. I've heard people do the, you know, the whole Die Hard, is it a Christmas movie? Isn't it a Christmas movie? And I'm like, you can have that debate if you want. But for me, it'll always be a movie about a man realizing that his right, his wife was right and trying to win her back and then terrorists get in the way. That's exactly what the movie was about. The funny thing is, when I think of Die Hard as a rom-com, to me, it's the relationship between, you know, McLean and the cop. That's the that's the romance <laughs> that I saw developing, <laughs> like completely friendly and platonic. But that's where I saw it. And like even uh, like I never watched Friends during its original run, but my wife is a really big Friends fan, so I've watched it with her like throughout the years, just kind of like an amalgamation of all the episodes. And to me, everyone's like, "Oh, it's all about uh, Joe, no, no, Chandler and Monica, and then Ross and Rachel." And to me, I'm like, "No." It is Chandler and Joey. That is the relationship of the series. <laughs> like those two, a hundred percent. Like it's, it's really oh, about that. Like I mean, that's we, that's the way I saw. It. We are definitely going to have to read some books that focus male friendship, because there there is some great stuff there. There is some great stuff there. The book with Jen and Cletus is called Engagement and Espionage, book one of Solving for Pi, Cletus and Jen Mysteries. Oh, is there more than one? There is. It's called uh, Marriage and Murder. Okay. This is, okay. This is awesome. I, I, I literally Googled it right now and I'm looking at it. Yes. I am totally reading this. And is this the first one in the series? Yes, because engagement comes before marriage. So engagement okay. and er engagement and espionage, and then marriage and murder. Oh my God, chicken choker! Yes, I am. I am totally reading this. Like this is a this is a must read right now because okay, yes, and it's funny because I mean when I initially saw your post, in no way, shape, or form did I ever imagine that I would get into a character like this. The only time I've ever been into a character like this before has typically been something that I've seen or watched or like a Wolverine kind of deal. Like, oh, man, I can respect that. Or a Professor X, and I can really respect that. This character, 
it embodies me so much that it's almost up to the point to where it's like I can't ignore it. And the fact that I, and murder mysteries are my thing, and then you tell me there's oh yeah, count me in, count me in twice with bells on. <laughs> so yeah, it is good. It is very good. Oh my goodness! But talk talking of Wolverine, do you remember the episode One Man's Worth? The one where Wolverine and Storm are married. Oh my God! Yes. Oh my yes. God! Yes. For years, I was searching for anybody who wrote a book with a relationship like that. I love that so much. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's interesting because when I used to watch it, I could never really understand the relationship dynamics until I went back and rewatched as I got older and seeing it in that episode in particular, because you had these two extremely strong characters. And at the time I was thinking Wolverine and he, it's gotta be him and Jean, you know, even though she's in love with this other guy, it's gotta be him and Jean, him and Jean, or maybe rogue, you know, because they have that kind of connection there. And then when I saw that, I was like, yeah, this one makes the most sense because you have two strong-willed people, but at the same time will do anything for their friends and family. And it's like, how would they not be attracted to each other? I actually really enjoyed that episode. You know, same, same thing. I liked it as a kid, and I w but I didn't know why I liked it. You know, it's like, what is it? Why are why is this my favorite pair, right? Because it's definitely true. Claremont definitely wanted you to ship Logan with Jean, right? And and you know, I I'm a equal opportunity employer. I I'm happy as long as they're happy, right? I just think he works better with Storm, right? Because Storm is a very cerebral character right she's a a thinker that's that's what led her to you know be good enough to beat cyclops for the leadership position even while powerless but wolverine is, is very much a feeler that's both his greatest strength and his greatest weakness he just feels so much about everything and more often than not, he's just looking for somebody he can trust to tell him what to do, right? I'm feeling all these feelings. I want to be useful. I want to help. Where do I go and who do I stab? A hundred percent agreed. And it actually leads to a lot of the times where he, why he ostracizes himself from the rest of the team because he feels like, well, I'm only good for the stabbing. And I, and, and now that we're talking about this and I kind of think back, usually when he flies off the handle or he's getting, you know, a little too emotional, it was typically storm grounding him, you know? And like, now that we're talking, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to go rewatch this series, especially with the release of the 91 series coming back at, or well, they're doing the new episodes of it. So oh, like, yeah, I, I can't wait for the new series to come out. They're getting so many of the original voice actors. I hope I hope it lives up to the hype. I really do. But yeah, not only that, but he always respected everybody. On, he always respected the lady characters 
as fellow soldiers, right? Like when they go into the tunnels, somebody expresses concern about Storm's claustrophobia. And he's like, she'll tell us if it's a problem, right? You know, like when... people forget that about him. You would think when you think of Wolverine, you think of this burly character who's all, all anger, all rage. And then, no, he's actually extremely thoughtful when it came to stuff like that because he did not differentiate from his teammates. He didn't say, oh, well, let me go take this guy with me. He's more capable. No, he actually was willing to go toe-to-toe with anyone because he trusted his teammates had his back regardless of gender, regardless of mutation, regardless of anything. That's honestly why I think he's such an endearing character because he does represent all the toxic the toxic traits so to speak of a, of a male masculinity but at the same time he fully exemplifies what it means to actually take on and live those traits and then seeing that there's possibility and that there is actual oh god i can't the words escaping me right now um capability among all of his teammates and i mean realistically for him to say that especially with how crippling that fear was for her, he understood that she would not put herself in a situation that could compromise the team's safety. And I thought to me that just, yeah, yeah, that's a nail on the head right there. That's a, that's interesting. Exactly. I, you know, people who think Wolverine's got toxic traits, I think they come at it from a superficial level. Yes. He's very aggressive, right? But He's as careful as someone with his particular, I don't want to say personality, because it's got to be linked to his mutation. He's as careful as he is capable of being with where he directs his anger. Like, this is a guy who is regularly entrusted with children and who doesn't feel capable of dealing with children but he does you know he's never he never mistreats any of them right like agreed he's mentored at least six kids right and some of them like the relationship between him and quentin choir Quentin Pryor was a terrible person, and yet, you know, Wolverine put in effort with him. Oh, agreed. And if you think about his mutation and what it was, everyone else had, you know, not up close and personal. Like, everyone else was, for one of a better term, like a drone pilot. They just flew a drone over the top with their power and dropped a bomb on something. This is a person who had to get up in close and personal because claws came out of his hands, you know? So the fact that he was able to separate and do that and then also have the relationship that he did with like Rogue, with uh, Kitty Pride, with the professor, with, you know, Beast, Hank McCoy, like the way that he was able to still have those close, tight bonds with someone, despite the fact that, when they needed stuff to get done and you needed something to get done in a hurry, he's the guy that they sent. But also, if you had a wayward teen or a child who was finding it difficult to relate to anyone there, he was also the person that they sent. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I love I love his relationship with Jubilee. I know, I know, um, I know Jubilee gets a lot of, like, 
hate, especially since I guess she became a vampire and adopted a kid, and it was a whole thing. And I'm like, it was a little terrible. But in <laughs> in the animated series, you know, she just showed how he was like a great, reluctant, big brother, uncle, father. Yes. Where, you know, he's like not trying to be her dad, dad, but he's just always quietly there, you know, trying to steer her in the right direction. You know? Yes, and he does that. Like, he does that for quite a few characters. Like, even the relationship that he has with Jean and, and like being in the middle of her and Cyclops, he doesn't just come right on out. No, he understands. And it's like, he, he just gets it. I, it's hard to really like put that into words, but he's a person, you know, when you look at some people are like, that person gets it. That's exactly what he is. He's the person you can look at and say, yeah, that person gets it. Well, he's like 120 years old, you know, (laughs) and and that's that's the other thing about his mutation. He isn't indestructible. He's regenerative. So he's had his whole face blown off and he still runs into the fight with the full-on expectation that he's going to have his face blown off. Yes. Because that's what the team needs him to do. That's what he's there for. You know, and I think that's what makes him so enduring. I, I think it is. I think his, I like to say his real mutant power is perseverance. Yes. Yes, and honestly, those are my favorite characters. I would honestly say that that's something that Cletus had himself. Because Cletus, to actually be a person who, or a character rather, a character who is so willing to not go that extra step to become Saw, so to speak, to actually just (laughs) be, you know, like again, and just be mischievous with his harm, when in full well, this person has the mental aptitude to basically really make it a terrible existence for some people. He chooses not to. Yeah, he definitely chooses not to cause the kind of damage that he 100% could cause. Um, and, and it's definitely a choice. It's not. It's not for a lack of aptitude or a lack of thought. You know, and and there's some people who or characters who don't do things because they're they're limited by by fear. And I don't think it's that. I think he's limited only by his own his own self. I think he puts limits on himself and those keep him in the good. I'd agree wholeheartedly. I I think the thing that I find so intriguing about him and and why I'm so interested in reading these other, you know, books that have these two characters is because for, you could even say that for Jen, Jen could have been that bitter, quote unquote, mean girl, but instead she chose to see the goodness in people and operated as if, and in doing so, 
it actually just made her like that strength that it takes for that which is why i'm really excited to kind of see where her character goes and how it's like fully expanded upon in that realm because i want to see what advancements she has made and 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 i think that and, and honestly cletus as well because having someone like that on your team it just opens up the board to so many more moves and plays and and i think that as a whole is like what's got me excited especially the fact that it's a murder mystery it's like count me in twice and three times on sunday i definitely i definitely want to reread the murder mystery books because i'm pretty sure i read the engagement one but i'm not a hundred percent sure i read the one uh where they get married so that will be fun and i do like it when you get follow-up with a character you know because i i like to see them grow and change and become real people agreed i mean i'm uh my wife makes fun of this the reason why I, I don't like I don't do social media aside from Reddit, but the reason why I don't do anything like like TikTok, it's because I'm only getting the small snippet of the story. Well, how does it end? I don't know. Why are we reading or looking at this then? If we don't know how this ends? What is the point? Yeah, no. I I love continuing series where like you see the people from book one in book five. And, yes. and I love, I'm one of those people who is continuously annoyed by the lack of domesticity in media. It's like, I want to see more of the X-Men playing baseball. And I want to see more of the characters in romance novels happy, right? Okay, you've finally had a conversation and worked out that you like each other. I I don't want you to just get married and that be the end of the book. You know, I want to see you live your life. What are you going to do now? You know, what's going what's going to happen next? You don't just cease to exist agreed it's not like okay now it's over it's like no we need like i i need closure i guess that's just me i i have to tell you because i feel that way i have read way too much fan fiction and i'll tell you this if you've read any fan fiction you've read too much fan fiction okay <laughs> that being said every once in a while for all the terrible fan fiction you'll read somebody who captures the author well enough that they could ghostwrite the books Ooh, and that, that fan fiction is amazing you know honestly it's because if it doesn't read like fan fiction it allows you to actually enjoy the story versus like okay this is a I know that this isn't this and this wouldn't happen this way. It couldn't happen this way. It just kind of removes all that from it. But I do like the fact that when it comes to like an actually well-written piece of fan fiction, it allows you to continue the story. That's it. Exactly. I just want more. That's what always leads me to it. It's like the author is done with these characters and I just want more of them. I want to, I want to spend more time with these people. 
Yeah, I mean that's the the to me the motivation behind fan fiction has to come from the fact that there's interest in checking out what happens to the character further along. Yeah, that's that's certainly the kind that I've enjoyed. I you know, I but people insist on putting characters in situations that would never happen or writing their reactions in ways that they wouldn't react. And I'm like, just write your own book. You know, if you want to write, if you want to write a story in which two people, you know, are, I don't know, smuggling whiskey in the 1930s, just write that. You don't need to steal two characters from a modern day book to do that. I would agree. It'd be like taking Cletus and making Cletus, you know, jigsaw, like some horrible human being that's like killing innocent people for the fun of it. It's it's like, just make your own character that does that. You don't need to take right. this character, you know? This character exists. This character already exists and already has defined characteristics. Go out and either pick another character that's more similar to the character you want to write and just change the name and fan fiction that character or create your own. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. I really shouldn't. Ha- I shouldn't ha- have as strong opinion as I do about this because I can't write anything. You're talking to, you're preaching to the choir here. Like writing isn't my thing, but I figure I know what's decent to read and, and just doing it that way. I'm good with it. That's true. That's true. I know what I like when I read and it's not when people just disrespect the characters that way. Agreed. And like, when I see that happening, it's, it's, it's almost, it's kind of heartbreaking in a way because it's taking the character and it's perverting them in a way to where it just kind of, it's like you literally could have just changed the name. It could have been something else. It's like when someone does a remake, it has nothing to do with the original or a sequel that has nothing to do with the original. Just call it a different story. Just say these are different characters. You don't have to do that, you know? Seriously. I have to admit, I am enraged, or maybe outraged is a better way of saying it, when somebody fundamentally misunderstands a character. Because in my opinion, that's the only logical explanation for why someone would remake or fan fiction something in a way that is so out of line with the original source material. Well, obviously you didn't understand the source material. Oh, I agree. It's like they either didn't understand it or chose not to like i've always found that that was like really really odd because there's a reason why you like the story i would assume and if you like the story why would you want to completely change it (laughs) you know that kind of defeats the purpose but again i think it's like it's like you will meet people who like wolverine because he stabs people and i'm like, like that is not I mean, yes, he stabs people, but that is not the point, right? It's such a small, it's like such a small part of him. Right, right. It's like you've missed a great deal of 
you know, it's like people who who create who complain about the social justice aspect of X Men. It's like, have you read X Men? Like the whole point of X Men is about injustice, right? It, Thank it, you. I, I, yes, they're all so, social justice warriors. All of them. That's the point, right? They are literally they're, social justice right. warriors. They, right, exactly. They are literally fighting for justice. Yeah, and 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 like people act as if they're not even. And like you mentioned earlier. They're all mutants in that respect, and it's a choice that they take, and their choice is not to just say, okay, let's just get rid of all non-mutant kind. What they're saying is they're going to defend both because that's the right. right thing to do. Fighting for a world that hates and fears you, right? And right. it's very definitely a decision, right? Nobody just falls into the X-Men. I mean... Maybe Cyclops. They he <laughs> they kind of got him when he was young. Yeah, before but, like everything got too terrible. But still, still, he wasn't he wasn't like a child. He was fourteen or whatever because he grew up in the orphanage, you know. And and Mister Sinister had him way first, right? So he had choices. I don't know. I'm rather I'm rather ambivalent on Cyclops just in general. Yeah, he's one of those characters where it's like, all right, Cyclops, I get you. But it, he just doesn't have enough spice. Like there's just not enough going on with him for me. Where it's like, oh man, I really enjoyed this guy. He's just really like a single note. He's like a he's a good song, but it's a song that you can only listen to once in every couple of days. That is definitely true for the cartoon where there's that joke where he's just screaming Gene in every scene. <laughs> <laughs> but then like in the comics, apparently he he goes all Magneto was right and, you know, gets the Phoenix powers and kills Xavier and I'm just like Cyclops. I you're I just can't with you. I can't with you. You're just making poor decisions. You know, I, maybe you're a great tactician, but your decided lack of personality is a terrible personality. I can't, I can't. I would agree. The lack of personality. I, I agree. That's actually a good way of putting it. But may, maybe he's got, like, a personality that we just can't see, and that's why he can only date psychics, because they can read his mind. <laughs> can see. That's a good point. Oh, my God. I just realized what time it is. All right. I, I am going to have to boogie. And that's your happy ending. Until next time, this has been Romance Read Along. <laughs>